Welcome to episode 58. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. You'll find all the streaming and social media information on the website. Uh, make sure you give us a follow on social media. Uh, on the Instagram, you'll always find the upcoming episodes as well as like old hardcore flyers and other like nostalgic hardcore stuff mixed in with like current flyers and just information and upcoming stuff. Uh, there's also a Patreon if you want to donate a couple of bucks. Uh, I'm going to be doing some live episodes and got some website maintenance and a couple other things coming up. Uh, much thanks to anybody who's already donated so far. Uh, there's a couple shows coming up in Rochester. Well, one of them is going to be coming up right after this episode airs. Uh, Madball, The Take, and Moment of Truth at the club at Water Street. And then next Friday is uh, Death Before Dishonor, Ringworm, Borrowed Time, The Weight We Carry, Leaking Head, Wrong Move, and at uh, Photo City Music Hall. Uh, make sure you check those shows out. A uh, bunch of other cool stuff coming up. Buffalo's got a ton of cool shows. Um, my buddy Jerry's got a show coming up March 4th at the Bug Jar, too. I'll, I'll put more info on that on the next episode. Uh, but, yeah, this is episode 58. Uh, I've been looking forward to doing this one for a while because uh, we're going to be talking with my buddy, my old buddy Spindle. And um, one thing I was kind of thinking about while prepping uh, the notes and whatnot for the interview is, is the parallels that him and I had, like, uh, between, like, the, the punk and hardcore scene, like, with the fanzines and record label and booking shows and stuff. So, It'll be cool to catch up with them as well as just to talk about all that kind of stuff. So with all that being said, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm just getting over a cold. The family was sick over the weekend, and so was I, or actually for like the whole last week. So I'm kind of hoping to uh, not sound too sick on this uh, episode. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm stoked to catch up, man, because uh, the era we're going to be talking about was a fun era. And uh, a lot of people, I think, are going to be stoked to hear this. I hope so. <laughs> Oh, so, five of them. Um, I, we'll mainly be talking about like your time in Rochester, I would think. But um, I guess before we do that, we'll get a little bit of background. Um, just kind of tell me about like your upbringing and just kind of what led you to what led you to like uh, punk and hardcore and stuff like that. So uh, I wasn't the uh, most popular person in high school, and one of the uh, few people that I was friends with uh, during late middle school was into like uh you know the misfits and uh 77 punk you know and that's really where i got my start uh there were a couple of local record shops here uh, uh there was uh spinsters records and uh now and then records that uh really uh were kind of my intro to all of that like there were a couple of guys there that you'd go in and you'd be like yeah well you know i see this this looks really great and they'd be like oh you got to check out this you know if you really like the misfits you got to check out sam hay and you know danzig and whatnot uh <clears throat> so that was kind of how i got into it and yeah it, it's actually kind of hard thinking about it because I don't remember like exactly like when I don't know. It's weird. One thing I'm curious about too, actually, well, I'm not curious. I know, but like for people who are listening that aren't familiar, uh, obviously we're going to be talking about you, you, you being in Rochester, but where, where, where were you from before and living now? Oh, so I'm uh, originally from New Jersey. I uh, was born in Hoboken and I, moved to Lambertville in the 80s and that's where I've uh pretty much resided 
Now I remember, and I, well, it's not just that I remember, you actually sent me a reminder today in some of the messages um, that there was a pretty decent scene where you were living right before you came here. I know you sent me a fire season video and you ended up booking those guys here, but, but there was other bands there too, like Purpose. And uh, what were some of the other bands? Do you remember or around that time frame? So uh, probably the, the first uh, punk band uh, from this area for me was probably uh, Third Strike. And that was uh, uh, Kieran Ginelli. And I honestly don't remember who else, uh, but probably the, the first kind of band that actually had stuff together and were around for a while was probably Border Patrol. And uh, they were kind of the first punk band uh, that was, uh, they were, they went through a couple of iterations, uh, started with uh, Scott Tedesco and uh, uh, trying to think who else, uh, Louis Sparre was there. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, so, and then Daniel Lemunyan uh, joined the band uh, and then uh, John and They were probably uh, really the first. Uh, Fire Season was kind of uh, a Stockton band. They're, they're basically the next town over. And that was mainly uh, Jody Suazo's uh, uh, child. Um, they were the successor to, to Purpose, who uh, Jody also formed and later left. Uh, they put out a couple of records and uh, they were great. And I actually don't remember who, I don't know if you booked that show or if that was someone else. I just remember being at Vertex. And like I said, I remember when you sent me that video, it reminded me of, I, I, I kind of talked some shit to some like drunk punks who were like in the parking lot. Cause that would always piss me off. Like when a band was getting ready to play and you would have all these people like lollygagging outside that weren't like, they were more there just to like drunk, get drunk or whatever, which is fine, you know, but it's like, there's bands from like out of town, you know? so yeah that was kind of like the you'd always get that um yeah. you know they were just there mainly to you know hang out and you know they they'd pretty much just hang out outside until uh you know their friends went on or whatnot or you know the main headliner or what whatever i it used to piss me off too but you know there's really you know there was nothing you could do to change it yeah so yeah now that i'm in my 40s i don't care about it anymore and honestly like half the shows that i can think of that i've been to in the last decade i've probably done the same thing like not necessarily hung outside but just kind of not gotten there right at, right that early you know gotten there a little bit later so i i get it you know so um but one thing that with you talking about the bands and me thinking about the scene here that we're gonna be talking about soon too is like the diverse mixture of bands and just like how you could have like a like a punk band a hardcore band you know, I mean, I, I think for us, it was kind of one and the same back then. But now, you know, you, you would have like kind of like different scenes. But it seems like that's how it was there, too, though, right? Where everything was kind of like different bands playing different shows type thing. You know what I mean? Uh, for me here in like the in Lambertville, it was pretty much just, you know. There wasn't any any way to have a different scene. Everything was just all one and the same. 
because it was, you know, it's all so small. You know, there was probably 40, 40 of us, maybe. So it's not like we were having, uh, you know, we had our biggest show was probably at a fire station. And uh, Rochester was definitely much, uh, much more separated, segregated. You know, the 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 punks kind of did their punk shows and the hardcore kids did the hardcore kid shows. And, you know, you every once in a while, you mainly would have like a hardcore band uh, play with a punk band and, you know, you'd get some mixture there. But it, it, it was, you didn't really get a lot of uh, intermixing. Yeah, I feel like, as we'll get to with St. Joe's in a little bit, that's where you saw like the most diverse shows in Rochester. Like, I don't, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, it seemed like anybody who was booking shows, they were just like really mixing up the bands. Um, so I guess you're kind of getting into the Rochester thing. Now I, I remember, I want to say it was like early 98. Uh, I feel like we actually met each other at Don and Bob's too. I was working there at the time and, and you were working there too, obviously. I don't know if I'd seen you in any other shows locally. Um, uh, no, definitely I know, not. I know you made it out to a notorious show that I booked out in late January, uh, the I Hate You Riot. Um, had you been to any other local shows here before that one? That was my first show. That's fucking crazy to think about. Like, I've talked to other people who said that that was either their first show, like, ever. Like, not just, like, being not from out of town, but, like, like ever, ever, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just crazy to think about, like, that's your introduction to Rochester Hardcore, pretty much, you know, is, is that. So I, I don't usually talk about that show too much on here just because there's uh, – well, you can you can imagine why. What were what were you thinking after that? Were you like, man, I wonder if this scene's really like this crazy here, or do you did you kind of realize it was probably like an isolated incident? That's a good question. I I don't really remember. I I I'm probably gonna guess that uh, for me it was more of an isolated incident, just because I met a lot of the people in Rochester at that show, because once again it was like. The, I'm trying to think. I know it was a death between seasons. Uh, I, I want to say the dents played that, and maybe the end. I don't know if the end played. And then, obviously, everything came to a screeching halt as soon as I hate you started playing. Yeah, it was crazy. I I didn't know if I was gonna ever book any shows again after that. I think about that all the time. Uh, you know. Well, certainly not there. Yeah, no, obviously never there. I was surprised they even let anybody book another show there like years later. But um, so, yeah, at that time, I guess that was kind of like the scene here pretty much was like the dense, the end, the death between seasons. And then I want to say the Violent Bastards either came around that time or formed a little bit later. So did you meet all those guys, like you said, at that show and you kind of like latched onto them pretty quickly? And I mean, that's kind of, I guess, what punk rock. You, you That's you, that's definitely where I met like Kevin and James and john Ozos, and basically everyone that was around at that time and yeah like i I'm mostly saying... no, i mostly remember kind of like hanging out outside afterwards and it was like oh we're in the middle of like the woods somewhere i, I it was definitely a weird spot yeah, what you're saying is accurate. My sister lives like right down the street from there now, actually. And, uh, you know, it was it would be eerie going back there and thinking about when we, when we were dropping stuff off for and stuff. But it was I mean, back then, I'm, I'm guessing it was the same where you were from. We, we didn't have a ton of clubs 
that were down with doing like hardcore shows here. So, you know, we found whatever the first spot was. And I think somebody else had booked something there before. And, and our, my old band, Bob Barker, actually played there. And I knew that I could easily rent the venue for cheap or whatever. So I think that's just how that ended up happening. You know, it was definitely out there, though. It's like 20 miles outside of Rochester or whatever. At that point, though, like I was saying, all those punk bands were around and whatnot. And then you and I were kind of working together. Now, I don't I guess I guess the memory might be a little foggy for you, too. But how long at, one, at some point you started doing the zine? Like I told you before, I, I started getting a couple together here to kind of look at while we were doing the inter- the interview here, but I only ended up finding two of them. Um, do you remember how many of these you did though? Or I I think there were 10. Yeah. I was going to say, I know there was at least 10 of them. Um, I have number six and number eight here. I mean, it's just crazy to think back then, like I'm guessing you were doing your interviews very similar to me. It was just, we would send a bunch of questions off in the mail or if we were lucky enough, had the tape recorder handy at a show, right? I pretty much almost never had a tape recorder, so uh, I was almost exclusively doing things through the mail. I even interviewed a Death Between Seasons through uh, the mail. While living in the same city? While living in the same city, yeah. Man, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at one of these now, and this is number six, and you got Strong Intention, Police Line, War Crime Zine, Protest, The Double Cross, O-City Bombers, The Violent Bastards, 30-odd six. And then, like, you and I, very similar, we would have uh, people writing columns and shit, like how they did it in Maximum Rock and Roll and Heart Attack and shit back then, too. So you were really jamming this thing. What's that? We were pretty much all just kind of doing whatever, you know, Maximum Rock and Roll started. Pretty much. I mean, that's the blueprint, right? Yeah. But this, uh, what I'm saying though, is you, I mean, I thought I had mine jam packed, but that's a lot of interviews for, you know what I mean? It's not, it's crazy. You, you could, you could fit so much back then in these things, you know, cause now I've seen a few zines recently and it's like two interviews and it's like 10 bucks, you know, it's just crazy. The, the way they do it now. I mean, I don't know if printing, if printing is, is crazy now compared to how it was then too, you know? Well, I mean, you got to compete with the internet. So that's true too. I mean, we had, we, I mean, I'm sure every city had it, but we definitely had like a good, uh, a good link to like a cheap printing shop in like Brighton. I remember back then we would get these things printed pretty cheaply um, back then. But, um, and then you, you booked uh, quite a few shows in Rochester, right? I, I was probably uh, one of the more prolific people doing it for a while. At least in like 98, 99, maybe even 2000, right? I, Towards 2000, I was kind of winding down and had other interests. So, I know, yeah, but least, definitely, definitely no, like once I started doing it, like it was kind of like, hey, you know, and then people would actually start reaching out to you about, you know, getting a show and, you know, there weren't that many people actually. It was pretty much me, you, uh, I, I, and like James, and that was pretty much probably it that, that I can really think of. Yeah. It's like every scene, occasionally you'd have like one or two people trickling in and out booking shows, but that that's about the people that were doing it back then. Um, one show that's a real standout for me, I'm sure there's a bunch for you that you booked, but one that, that, that was one of my favorites was that violent society show, you know? Um, 
I, I never really was a huge fan of Vertex, but for some reason, there was a lot of good shows there that year, man, you know? Well, once again, it was really, like, only the, it was a cheap place. I think it was, like, $250 to, like, book it, and that was kind of doable. And, you know, they didn't take anything off the door, and, you know, it was centrally located. So it was a good option for a while until, you know, obviously it burnt down. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody was, I don't even know if it was open or not, but I definitely wasn't there for that. I don't think I'd even been to a show there in a while by that point, because I think around like 99 or so, I, I, I wasn't really going to too many more shows there. That, that show that I referenced that you booked there, the fire season show, or if you didn't book it, whoever booked it there, Pat Dent maybe, that was like one of the last shows I went to there. Um, but another venue that I mentioned earlier that I, I don't know if you were the one that first started booking there, but it was definitely like it had at least a five or six year stretch in Rochester was was St. Joe's, um, which I mean, obviously the money's going towards Food Not Bombs and then part of the money's going towards St. Joe's, too. Right. So, I mean, yeah, that was crazy. And Andrew Stankovich, too. I mean, every well, that guy, was what's that? Yeah, that was uh, pretty much. uh mine and andrew's idea to you know kind of raise money and you know obviously it worked out pretty well for a while i'm actually shocked it lasted as long as it did i mean andrew was really like probably one of the more dedicated people in rochester that i personally knew and the man was just a machine and you know we were booking shows and Dude was like setting up a warehouse and, you know, uh, running food, not bombs and eventually transitioned away from food, not bombs into, uh, I think he called it Rochester friends. I, I don't remember. I, I know he's long gone from the Rochester area now, but that's a big loss for the city. Cause he was a really great guy. I think he's down in like Mississippi or something. Yeah, last I knew, which was like 10 years ago, he was in like Mississippi or Louisiana. So that sounds about right. And no, you're right. He's like a gem for sure. I mean, he was a, he was a character too, but definitely a gem. Um, the Now, did you have a hand in starting Food Not Bombs or was that pretty much all him? That was pretty much all him. I mean, we just kind of helped when we could. Because they, I mean, they ran that for a few years. I mean, I know they have it up and running again now because I went to... Uh, a bunch of those protests here like a year and a half ago maybe and and i was i i, I don't keep up with all that with like food not bombs and stuff so i was kind of surprised to see they were like walking by handing out water and stuff and it said rochester food not bombs so i was like damn somebody must have like restarted this or whatever you know i know there was kind of a power struggle between him and some other people towards the end and that was kind of the the final straw for for him uh and then i think he went down to New York City for a while. But uh, the the shows there were absolutely f phenomenal. I mean, and there were a lot of bands that played there that you really wouldn't have been able to book anywhere else, you know, because, you know, obviously Vertex wasn't an option. We, we didn't really have any way into like Water Street or anything on the bigger scale. There was the Penny Arcade, but uh, I don't know. I, I never dealt with those people, so I can't really. I, I booked shows there a couple of years later, but in the area you're talking about, it was not really a place that you wanted to book at. Cause I don't know who was owning, who owned it. 
before the guy owned it that I worked with, which even the guy that I worked with is still kind of shady, but like he never like fucked me over or anything, but it's still not a place that ever had a really good reputation locally. But I, I guess before I jump into the next kind of comical topic, uh, another speaking of standout shows though, one that really stands out in my mind is that last den show at, uh, at St. Joe's too, man. And I mean, how many chimes did the dents probably play there too, though? You know what I mean? But that last one, there was just so many people there, you know, that was, uh, we were probably definitely violating the fire code. That's what, what I remember because there were a lot of people. I, I don't know how we fit everyone into that little room, but it, it, it was crazy. It was really hot. I, I do remember that. Yeah, it was a tiny space and it was definitely easy to overpack it, like you're saying. And that's something I've talked about on here before. And I don't know if you if you thought about it in retrospect now that you're kind of mentioning it, but like I'm I'm gonna start doing shows again. And like now there's things that I, I definitely wouldn't do that I did back then. You know what I mean? Like I would like just with all the code violations you're talking about, and like especially with like COVID in mind too, like I would never like rent out a VFW hall knowing I'm gonna like triple the capacity that night or whatever, you know, like. It's insane to think of. And, and one night I think I quadrupled the capacity actually, or more than that, but regardless, you know. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like anyone really cared. And it's not like the fire marshal was going to show up. Right. Right. But now just now that we're older, I just think about like certain and having, you know, me being a dad and shit too. I think about just things that I wouldn't have thought of back then, you know, it's just, I don't know, but um, there was something you reminded me when we were prepping for the interview that I, I wasn't there for, but you've obviously told me about, and it made it at, I think on the back cover of one of your fanzines. Uh, the casualties uh, not showing up, I think, at the show place uh, story in Buffalo. Uh, not the casualties. That was blank 77. Oh, blank 77. Must... I, don't know, I don't know why I thought it was the casualties. Yeah, blank 77 must die. Uh, <laughs> the, the absolute greatest moment in Rochester history is Pent Dent's uh, war on blank 77. And if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry, but Yeah, so we all went to this Blank 77 show, and this is basically pre-internet. So we get there, and the show is canceled. So we do what any self-respecting punks would do. We decide to just start drinking openly in the parking lot. There was a bar right across the street. We just went over, got a couple of six-packs, and we're just hanging out. And the next thing we know, like 10 cop cars just roll up on us and just we're all just thrown in the back and basically spent most of the night at uh, some Buffalo uh, police station. They eventually released us. And uh, luckily, I want to say it was Pat. Or maybe Kevin's parents uh, actually got a lawyer, and we all basically got off as long as we didn't get arrested again for like the next six months or something. But yeah, that was all Blank 77's fault. And yeah, again, my bad. Shout out to the casualties. I don't mean to disrespect them and all this. You know what I mean? It's no, the casualties are real human beings. Blank seventy-seven are uh, mechanical androids. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's that's hilarious. And didn't you end up like uh, po- some of you guys like posed for a picture with the cop or whatever, and that was on the back of the zine or some shit like that? That that was on the back of the zine. I, I somewhere I I must have that picture, and one day I will find it and uh, I'll send it to you. But uh, it, it's you know not something that would happen today, I guess. But yeah, he's just, you know, they're just there and we're all around him. He's just sitting right next to us, you know, full uniform, name badge, uh, gun on his hip. And we're all just crowding around him for a picture. (laughs) Only in Buffalo. (laughs) And only in punk rock too, right? So I want to talk about the Den 7-inch in a second. But what I was thinking about before the interview that I, I forgot to mention to you is the fact that you and I were also doing like cassette compilations back then too, which is like, I, I mean, cassettes have made a comeback now, but I can't imagine people are like doing those still like tape comps like that. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, it's just crazy to think about. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember how many bands you had on yours, but I mean, we would have like, I want to say like 15 to 20 bands on like a tape comp. Like, I don't know how, ma- how many of those you ended up releasing, but I put out like three or four of those things. I probably want to say there was at least two that I can remember. Uh, there was the Food Not Bombs one, and then uh, a lesser known one that I don't even remember. Yeah, I was thinking about that today because I'm like, I don't know what, what what got me thinking about it, but it's like, yeah, we had to we had to make sure these bands would all send us tracks and then put them all together on a tape and then sit there and dub these things and copy the cards. and And then we're like, uh, if you send them to like Sean Lambert or like one of those dudes, they would send you like 30 flyers for other cassette compilations or whatever. You know what I mean? So now you're like stuck with like a box full of all these flyers that you end up sending to other people and they send back to you. It's the craziest, like, I don't even know what to call that, you know, subculture, sub subculture. <laughs> that that was basically our internet. I guess you're right. I mean, I found out about some cool bands that way though. I mean, Ben and I did that Kung Fu Rick Bad Acid Trip split seven inch and that's how like I found Kung Fu Rick through through that, like through trading tapes and like doing tape compilations. Like that dude who sang for Kung Fu Rick who ended up being another band called He Who Corrupts. Um, him and I would just trade tapes and like write each other letters back then. And then he was like Kung Fu Rick was on like all my tape comps and like shit like that, you know? So it's just crazy to think about that. You're right though, that was our internet. It was like right before there was like message boards and like social media and all this stuff that's like killed the culture pretty much, you know? I mean, I think we had we had the internet it just wasn't something that was really readily available and it wasn't something like i i want to say like towards the end like i was doing everything on a computer but like it wasn't like i was sending out like uh you know emails to people yeah, I, I want to say like when when you and i first met i had no computer access and then with like a within like a year or two I started having it more and then it was like things slowly started shifting away from like writing letters to email to talking shit on message boards and posting all my shows on message boards and then I had a website for a while and it's crazy to think back about all the way things you know uh evolved I guess or devolved if you want to say you know but yeah it was the dense seven inch was that the only piece of vinyl that came out on the on the label uh yeah I mean I had ideas for some other stuff but uh you know money was always a a barrier there especially towards the end as i was 
mostly jobless. Yeah, I I think the only way I cut the label up was just I had I had a huge ass distro, but I kind of want to talk about the dense. Obviously, I mean, you pulled the seven inch out tonight. You said too, that's a pretty that's a pretty historical piece of Rochester music. I mean, you have to be aware of that by now. You know what I mean? I mean, we're we're talking about this twenty five years later almost. You know, it's uh, I mean, there's still people that 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 respect all that music and that and that kind of like set the path for a lot of the current uh, like Rochester hardcore and punk fans. You know. Well, I think uh, you really had uh, a good group of guys with them. Uh, Kevin was obviously, you know, has is still going. Uh, Pat was an absolutely phenomenal, uh, inventive mind. Pat was adequate on the drums. And Rob was there too. <laughs> Well, that's crazy too about i would talk to i talked with kevin about that on his episode that it's crazy to think about that dude owning a skate shop when he was like a teenager you know he uh, was probably one of the more interesting uh people for sure like yeah. i don't know what he's doing now yeah i don't think i don't think i thought to ask kevin that actually maybe maybe he mentioned it i've interviewed a lot of people since then in my memory it's a little hazy after a few of them but what you you ended up selling all those obviously right or, or or were you doing like the distro trade thing a lot too back then or i think we pretty i think i got like a hundred copies and they had the other 200 or something uh, and we probably sold most of them you know uh i i had about 15 copies just left in a box somewhere that I found uh, maybe 10 years ago. And I, I, I want to say that I mailed those off to uh, Will, maybe. I, I could be wrong. My memory might be failing me on that. But I don't, in any case, uh, one thing I do want to say is that the, uh, the cover to that is actually the old high school from where I grew up, which was uh, abandoned. And it was the local haunted spot. It was actually featured in Weird New Jersey. And that's actually the third floor of the building after uh, it had burnt down because uh, someone set fire to it. Did you take that photo or was it like a stock photo you found somewhere? Oh, no. Uh, we, that was, you know, the cool place to go and explore locally. So, yes, I took that photo. Well, that's that's another piece of uh, trivia that we're, we're learning about the dense uh, seven inch tonight, I guess. That's really cool. Um, that's a, like I said, just a classic seven inch, classic band. I, I never really ranked like my top whatever john cusack high fidelity you know rochester bands or whatever but i think i would put them at least in the top five though you know what i mean i mean they're they're classic you know i mean and and again that's like for that era especially too like everybody has like their like their era and what was important to them in that era and, that, and that's definitely one of the bands for me you know i i'd say definitely for punk bands they were you know number one number two with the end uh you know, they were they were t the two biggest bands. They were the only two that I can really think of that ever actually, you know, toured and uh, actually released 
records. I mean, there were other bands, but as far as like the main core group, they were the most active. And then I guess before we get into your uh, the, the bands that you were in, and I guess the band one band that you and I were in together, one thing that I was also kind of looking back on when prepping for this interview, um, a lot a lot of like the the activism and things we were into back then. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but a lot of it, I, I still believe most of it, but some of it I'm just not as passionate about. But like some of the stuff that we were into, I still like. I wish I could do more, you know. And and that Philly trip, the millions from Amio trip you know still to this day means something to me and uh it's also a funny story though all the things that happened I don't, I don't know if anything really crazy or funny happened on the way back but on the way there definitely i don't know if you remember all that i i think didn't we break down on the way back and i think it, I think uh, it was on the way there in binghamton and we were in binghamton for like two hours um and i i was getting worried because i was like yo we're not gonna even make it to this fucking rally thing or whatever everybody's gonna be marching and it's gonna be over by the time we get there type thing you know yeah uh i mean being on a bus for well it must have been about four hours because maybe maybe longer but yeah being on a bus for four hours with anarchy larry was definitely uh a highlight of my life and it's funny you would mention that because that's exactly where I was going with this because I'm thinking about it. And I've referenced this story so many times over the years because regardless of whether or not uh, smoking had been banned publicly yet, because I don't think it had, you definitely couldn't smoke on a fucking bus back then. And uh, while we were, while we were uh, what do you call it, stranded in Binghamton and not knowing if we were going to make it uh, to Philly, all of a sudden I see him go back in the bathroom and like two seconds later, I just, the whole bus reeked of cigarettes he's just back there like smoking cigarettes you know um you know that guy was a good dude i don't know if he's even still alive honestly he kind of went like totally apeshit at some point though because i saw him and he looked like he had totally lost it you know i know he was always kind of crazy but like he he was pretty much uh completely batshit insane as far as i'm <laughs> concerned so i don't know if maybe it had been so long since i saw him and now again i'm older and i have kids but like i saw him a few years ago and i was like whoa but he had like a long gangly beard and shit, you know? And I was just like, man, I hope this dude's still at least trying to fight the good fight or whatever, you know? Cause he was the one, I remember Jeff Asbrand one time in between songs was talking about Mumia and, and it was at St. Joe. So Larry was there and he just started doing the chant, like in the, in the back of the room, like brick by brick, he started yelling the shit or whatever, you know? And, and even Jeff was like, all right, thanks Larry, you know? But that, I mean, again, we made it there in time, though. We we fucking, we, we marched around the city. That was my first time in Philly, actually. I, I've been there several times since then. Um, but that, that I mean, we weren't there for very long either. Just enough time to, to to get there and get back, basically. You know, I don't know if you have any memories from that trip at all. I, I, I definitely feel like we were, we were there. We marched. I don't know if we even did the whole thing, but like we were there for maybe an hour two hours maybe and then it was like all right back on the bus yeah that, that sounds exactly right yeah and, and one thing that i do remember randomly is you were friends with and had booked that band i think apolitical from uh baltimore and yes. uh, i remember seeing some of those dudes marching at that rally or whatever so it was like th these dudes like are here and they stand for what they sing about type thing you know what i mean which was cool to me at the time you know so 
Um, I mean, like I said, I still believe in a lot of the shit that we were doing back then. I'm not going to every single protest and rally when there was um, the incident with Daniel Prude, uh, like a year and a half ago, I went to most of those protests because, you know, I felt like it, it was something I wanted to go to, you know, but now that I have kids, I'm probably not going to be like risking anything that would, you know, uh, put me, I already kind of have a criminal record from a few years back. So I'm not trying to add to that or anything type thing, you know? So, yeah. Um, but any, anything like, do you still, I mean, what do you think? Like, you still kind of like believe in all that stuff or is it kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, I, there's definitely parts where it was like, yeah, I'm going to admit that I was pretty naive back then. Yeah. But there's definitely stuff that was, that I, I do still believe in. Like, uh, you know, like as far as like Mamiya and all that, like I've, I, you know, I don't know what happened, um, but there definitely seemed like there was something wrong there. Um, and you know, you just see all this stuff, especially nowadays about how the, especially back then the justice system wasn't exactly, uh, the most, uh, I don't don't know what the word I want to use is, uh, the most upstanding and yeah. So I, I always said that I I thought the guy deserved a a new trial and I, you know, obviously now he's, you know, he's got to be up there, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, actually, I don't, I don't even know if he's, you know, I, I think I would have heard if he had, if he had died, but obviously that's something that's big locally and it's very uh, polarizing because you definitely have two sides to that, you know, like there was, you know, he's in jail and there was a cop that was killed and, uh, you know, did they get the right guy? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is, especially back then, I mean, even now, like they, I, yeah, we, we still don't really trust cops. You know, like I, I sometimes I say that and I think about like I know a few people from the punk scene have gotten involved with law enforcement. So I feel kind of like a dick when I post like a cab and fuck the police and stuff, you know, but I feel like those guys understand. They knew what they're getting into anyways, you know, so. Yeah, I'm on the, the same, you know, wavelength there. Uh, uh, actually, one of the guys I talked about earlier, uh, he's actually a corrections officer and one of my cousins is actually a cop in uh new york city so you know there's uh mixed emotions sometimes yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i mean i i still i i'm not gonna like i'm not gonna bite my tongue when i see shit that's blatant obviously though you know what i mean but at the same time sometimes i wonder like when i make these blanket statements if it's the right thing to say sometimes we just get emotional and we feel like it's it's what we need to say at the moment i guess you know well, blanket blanket statements are sometimes what works. Yeah, that's true. You know, but like I said, they knew what they're getting into. So, um, but uh, now and there, there's one band that you were in that that you know was played some shows, and then there's a couple more that were, I guess I wouldn't say comical, but I, was Spindle and the Monroe Funk? Did you ever even record anything, or is that more just like a joke? Uh, I don't think we managed to record anything, and if we did, 
all all evidence has been destroyed. <laughs> did you ever play any shows as that thanks? I don't I don't I feel like if you did, I I didn't I didn't see it. Uh yes. Uh we actually played some uh larger shows. Uh we we played uh I believe we played the the dent last show. Oh uh, I saw Sat Map then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the show that, uh, I believe that was the show that Kevin played guitar and he did so with a GoBot or a Transformer, one of the two. So we were doing, I mean, you, why we, I mean, you, you were doing like the jokey kind of noise improv type thing for that one too then, or? So what we did there was, uh, we would, uh, everyone would write a song. And you had to write it right then and there. And uh, it, it would be like at the show. Like you couldn't write something the day before and you couldn't really have time to think about it. You just had to be like, here's my song. And then I would sing that song. And we didn't have any set music. We would just all uh, do whatever we felt like doing right then and there. So I don't know if I want to call that noise or uh, uh improv punk i don't know i don't know yeah. what genre we were but improv that was punk sounds, improv punk the, sounds more likely the the whole joke there was that uh we were we basically ripped off the whole uh casualties like logo and everything and you know it was spindle and the monroe ave punks with an x and you'd go and you'd be like ah oh, we're gonna see like the spiky haired punk band and then it was not that I think At I still all. think it's the funniest, the funniest band name to come out of Rochester, though. I mean, there's been a few, but that that was always one of my favorites. Yo, you know, actually, there's one thing I'm thinking of before we dive into the other bands. I didn't. I. I. I this always happens when we do these kind of interviews. Like things just kind of your memory gets jogged. There's a real classic show that happened in my basement in the summer of 1999 with uh, Against Me and Gastrointestinal Atrocity played. I'm pretty sure, but but did you book that or did Pat Dent book that? I booked that. I thought that so, was... dude. I thought that so. was the uh, Punky's Not Dead Fest. That's right. I have the one. I have the flyer on my phone because I. I mean, you've seen. I like to post flyers on like the date the show happened for like a you know walk down memory lane type thing or whatever. Um, but dude, that's crazy to think about. Like that. That not only that band played my basement, but you booked them and like look where they are now and like they were using fucking buckets for drums back then, right? Uh, yeah, and it was basically just uh, uh, her and uh him back then right and uh i i don't know what the the other person's name was uh but they just played the the buckets basically yeah now, now again we were doing shows through word of mouth back then so how did they get a hold of you did they, did they like write you a letter or call you like do you remember like i i probably sent them like something saying hey if you're you know coming around here you know i i'd be able to book you and uh they might have thought that it would be at like an actual venue and then i i do remember them like just hanging out in like your uh driveway and just with a you guys have any tape decks like <laughs> uh yeah yeah here's one cool we're gonna make some tapes and they made tapes to sell later that night. 
Yeah, they had to make something else too, because I rode around with them in their van at some point. I don't remember where, where we rode to, but we were shooting the shit. I mean, I I I barely remember it, because I mean, not to be like, oh, I should rem- I should remember more bands that are gonna be big like that, but I had no idea they were gonna be like fucking like everywhere. Like I booked a few bands that like you kind of knew they were going somewhere, but like who knew who knew that a band with buckets for drums was gonna be like fucking huge like they are. You know what I mean? It's just crazy to think about now. You know, like. I remember it was like maybe three years later that like all like those like stand fast, like all the Fairport kids, they started talking about them and that and that band. I was like, is this the same band? And I and and, and I, I don't know if it was you or somebody else that was like, Yeah, they played they played your basement, dude. And I was like, Holy shit, that's so crazy to think about, you know. Who was um, the uh the you had another Toronto band or a Canadian band that played your basement too? On on and that show? No, uh this was another show that I'm pretty sure it was in your basement. Oh, maybe Existench from Canada. They yes. Might there. Yeah, I was actually just talking about them the other day too. Uh, or no, today because I was because it was the same. They they played in Buffalo the same day that another show happened here. But but um, no, there was a lot of shows in my basement, dude. You booked a bunch of them because I feel like you booked that Abstain show probably too, right? Abstain. That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. That yeah. that was probably the uh that that I I've feel like that was probably the most packed i ever saw your basement if i'm remembering correctly yeah there was a bunch I mean, of people i mean it's not like it took a lot it only took like 30 or 40 people to really pack it in yeah and i feel like i feel like both the abstain show and the against me show had a bunch of people at it because i think didn't the dents play the against me show they did i i don't uh i think they they played right before against me or maybe gastro uh <laughs> might have been the uh the palate cleanser in between bands. Dude, isn't that crazy? Gastro played with Against Me. But um, it's crazy, obviously, that Against Me, a band that's huge, now play there. But thinking about a band like the Dents, who could easily draw like 75, 100 or more people on their own, played my fucking tiny-ass cat piss fucking basement <laughs> on Wilcox, you know? Like, I tried cleaning that shit out. I tried cleaning it out after... Because um, that first Abstain show... I don't think I really cleaned it too good, but I tried after that, and I even put like air fresheners and shit. But dude, once you have cats pissing in a basement, you're not, you know what I mean? We moved out. I, I bet that thing still smells down there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's not going away. I, 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 uh, yeah, we had four of them too. So those are my sister's cats. I mean, I got, I love cats, but, but no, I, I, yeah, I didn't mean to jump off the timeline, but I started thinking about that. And I, I guess it's not really because we're, we're talking about the same. We dude. should definitely talk about your sister's cats. I mean, you got a memory. You, got, you, you remember. You remember them all. I, I, I do remember that there were a lot of cats. There was four. Yeah. Yeah. She had three, and then um, her friend Renee, like the the house next door to her, they could tell this cat was like stray or whatever. So she took that one in too, and we ended up having four. And I think no, I think we might have had five. Because I want to say I called that one number five. Uh, well, she ended up naming it something else, but. She now has like two, like, oh no, one, but she ha- she she has like fancy cats now. She got like a Bengal and like, like one of them passed away a couple of years ago, but they're, they're like $800 cats. Like, she got like into like the, the high end cats or whatever. So you, you wanted to talk about them. That's what she's up to with them now. <laughs> yeah, I want the, I, I'm the opposite way. I've got a couple of uh, uh, older rescues yeah. that are, um, uh, basically at this point unadoptable ones like 21 and needs a uh, uh, medicine every day and the other one's just kind of a 
little bit of an asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we my girlfriend's allergic allergic to cats, so I don't think I'll ever have any again, unfortunately. But uh, I had them pretty much always as a kid because my sister always had them. But um, uh, I guess jumping back onto the to the to the bands now. I didn't really think about this until like literally now looking at the band name. Like I knew we had played the one improv show together, but like we actually practiced uh, Imperial Death Parade. Like I, I was, what was I trying to play guitar or bass in that band? Guitar, I wanna, right? I, I'm guessing guitar. I, I don't know if we had a bassist. That I was think my friend. I think my friend Jeremy like practiced with us a few times, but didn't want to do it. Well, I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> it was just like, I mean, I suck at guitar. I don't know how I ever like, I mean, it was a bad guitar too. It was like a cheap, like my, my sister got me like a, a, basically a toy guitar when I was like 14. And then, but Jim Callahan was playing drums. Like Jim's the type of dude, I don't know. He probably would now, but back then he wouldn't say no to any musical project. You know, like if you asked him, you want to do this, you want to do that. He, uh, yeah. Okay. You know, like he's just that type of dude, you know? And we practice. Do you remember practicing at my house on Wilcox with him though? Or? I do. Uh, yeah. I, I also remember playing like one show. I forget who, who we played with. Well, but that's actually funny too, because that's the only time I've ever seen a band from Australia was at that show. I, you had to have booked that one too, right? Yes. It was uh, from Australia. Nobody cares. They covered minor threat that night too, by the way. Um, us Imperial death parade and, and maybe one other band. I don't remember, but. I've never really thought about that as like a band that I was in, but technically that counts because we played a show, we had practices. Like technically, I, I was in three bands, you know. Correct. I always thought I was just in two, but that counts as a real band, right? I mean, we had two songs. <laughs> Is that all we had? Probably I think shitty, so. Probably those shitty ass riffs that Ben and I were going to use for Dick Rub like two years prior to that, <laughs> and I had saved them and been like, "All right, we'll just use these," you know. But do you remember that we played that show? at Ellison Park, I, 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 I know we played the two songs you're talking about. I learned how to play terribly, um, Crucified. And then we played maybe a few other songs, improv style. And then Jim, when he decided he was done, he just put the drumsticks down and left. Like he got on his bike and rode away. I, I remember he rode up on his bike and he was like, all right, are we playing? And we played and then he was like, see ya. And yeah, he, he was gone. Balanced. I was like, I didn't, I thought I called him the next day. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm sorry if I pissed you off. Or he's like, no, man, I had to go. I was just leaving. I was like, all right, cool. He had another show. Probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, I w I'd want to leave after that too, honestly, you know? <laughs> I mean, mutiny was uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they were probably one of the, it, I, I don't know how I ended up booking them and I don't know why they uh, decided to tour the States and why they were like, let's play Rochester. Like there must be a story there. Like you should, you know, try to uh, sleuth that out. But you know, Rochester's not exactly like uh, a real high point on most international bands uh, touring list. Or, or, or like US bands for that matter, domestic or whatever. No, but dude, you're right. That band was really good, and and I and I again, I don't really remember them until now. But weren't they like a like? And all due respect to punk bands, but wasn't Mutiny like a real band, for lack of a better term? You know what I mean? Like, didn't they have like? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But they weren't like a punk band, right? Weren't they more of like a? I don't they even were know. like a, 
like a gypsy Irish band. Yeah. That's it. They were like, ah, see, I, I can't I can't compare any bands that the first one I was going to say is going to sound dumb, but it was like flogging Molly or some shit, you know, like, yeah, I could I could definitely see like the connection there, like because they definitely have that like uh, Irish punk overtones to them. Yeah. And uh, no, they, they were they were absolutely killer. Yeah. No, like I said, I again, until we until I started thinking about us playing in that band. I never, I never really had thought about that band again. Like I knew, I always knew, like if I thought about like, and as cheesy as it is, but just think about like seeing bands from other countries, I knew I'd seen at least one from Australia. And I think that is the only one too, you know? So props to you for fucking booking an Australian band. You know, it's pretty cool. So then I would say the most well-known band, I mean, you guys played a bunch of shows uh, that you were in was the Crimson Guard. W- would you agree on that or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously I had uh I had uh, Adam and um, uh, Eric on here uh, months ago, you know. Um, but what, what, what was what was your take on that? How, how was it being a band with those guys? I mean, they were great. Uh, musically, I I think we all really clicked together right away. Like, and we kind of knew what we wanted to to do. Uh, the real hard part was uh, the fact that I didn't have a car at the time. So I was actually in the city and they were pretty much all out in the, the suburbs. Like, and I don't even know where they lived, but I remember it was probably a good, you know, it would be a half hour to go practice anywhere. So that, that was, that was the tough part there. Uh, but Eric, Eric is probably uh, one of my favorite people from Rochester towards the later stages. Adam and Chris Dooley were uh, the odd couple, for lack of a better term. And Adam's still awesome. Uh, he's still got the beard going, I hope. I and mean, if, if he ever shaves that off, that should just be a crime. I saw Adam uh, maybe two months ago now at a show. Uh, Monty's Monty's Crown. You remember that place on Monroe? Um, that's like, that's kind of become like the where the old punks like hang out now. It seems like at yeah. least the two times I was there. It has a different name. It's changed. I mean, every bar probably is like that in every city. It's changed names a few times. It's got to be similar owners though, because it's always like a similar name. Like now, it's like Monty's. I don't even know. But anyways, I think it's like Monty's a, Corner. It Monty's was corner now, now. What's that now? I think it was Monty's Corner and now it's Monty's Crown. I think other way, vice versa, but I think it might even have a different name now. Anyways, I went to a show there like two months oh, ago. Oh, the like, Rosen Crown. The Rosen Crown. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went there probably like right before Thanksgiving. I bumped into to Adam there, a bunch of other people. And yeah, he still had the beard. Still, still repping, you know. I'm shocking. I'm shocked he was there just shocked <laughs> that's actually you know it's funny you making that joke aside from me working at, at uh, frontier field for a couple of years and i don't even know if you noticed that i saw him walk by a few times that's the only place that i've bumped into him in like the last like 10 10 or so years is that Monty's like two or three times and it's probably a coincidence although you are making that joke but i don't i don't really get out much myself at all i mean obviously having kids now and you know even before i had the kids i was kind of laying low with whatever activities I was getting myself into. So, 
But how uh, Crimson Guard though? Now I know there was at least a few shows you guys played. The one that the one that really stands out for me, obviously, is the uh, the Village Gate show. But what are some other ones that stand out for you in, in the in the time you did that band? Well, let's uh, take it back to Oleon for a minute. Uh, that was probably uh, our biggest show. I don't, I don't know why, but when we played there, everyone was just super into it. I mean, the crowd was absolutely nuts. And I mean, it, that was one of our earlier shows too. It might've been like our third show or something. And we probably only had like four songs and we had decided to to switch up the, the cover. And instead of playing uh, Black Flag, we would play Minor Threat. And uh, I remember, it, I, I don't, I believe we played uh, uh, Minor Threat. Yeah, I don't remember what song. Might have been. Uh, who cares? Anyway, so uh, and then I think we played with. Uh, uh, we got onto a bill with uh, Strike Anywhere, and that was. An, I don't know if you were at that show or if you booked it. I think it might have been. Might have been that. Might have been a John show. Was that the one where you broke the window? All right, correct. <laughs> I was at that show, but I didn't book it. I would, I would, I wouldn't be laughing about it still, probably, if I booked it. But I was definitely at that show. That was one of like the ten times where Rise Against was supposed to play here, and they didn't. But I do want to say one more thing before we we have a laugh about the Ellison show. Is is you mentioned that Olean show? I I started talking to you about Olean before the interview because what you, exactly what you're talking about is what I, what I always think about about that scene. Like I know it was like a much smaller city than Rochester, which if that's even possible, you know, but I think Oleon probably has like a population of like 80 or 90,000, if that, but that's the kind of city that's like perfect. Like where that, that like Ryan Capaletti definitely built that scene up a, but B like you go there and like, they, they, they will take anything that, that you bring them because like they, I feel like it's like, like how European people treat American hardcore, you know, it's like, they just, they don't, they don't have enough of it. And whenever they get it, they're just, they'll, they'll take whatever they can get. Cause I went to Oleon probably, maybe five or 10 times at most, but every single time I went there, the shows were packed, tons of kids there, kids were buying stuff. You know what I mean? Like they, they were very grateful to have a scene like that there. And I, at some point I want to try and get a, get a hold of Ryan Capilletti. I don't, I don't know where he's at now. I haven't talked to him like 20 years, you know, but um, it'd be cool to document what he did there. You know, he definitely was, uh, it, I'm just looking at a map right now and just looking at like where, Olean is and it's just kind of in the middle of nowhere like there's nothing like it's like halfway between like Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse and you know for some reason like in my memory it was like closer to Bath or something but it, it's quite a bit uh, it's like right on the border of Pennsylvania which is not what I was remembering in my memory but there's yeah that's pretty small too the only thing i can say like about the town of oleon is i'm pretty sure the college uh saint bonaventure is located there but that has yeah. nothing to, that has nothing to do with what ryan did because if you think about those shows that he was doing it was all like young kids it wasn't like college kids it was like high school or younger kids that were coming to his shows like somehow he just like rounded up like like i would say like close to 200 people to regularly come to shows there it was so crazy you know, I don't know if you came with us. We rode out, a bunch of us rode 
to I have the flyer on my phone. I think gastro might have gastrointestinal atrocity might have even played. It was strong attention and a dense though in Oleon. Uh, I I, I was definitely at that show. Yeah, dude, we went there. I know we stayed there overnight for that. And we got to know Ryan a little bit, and it was cool to see like the the kind of like community he had built up there, you know. Um, and I went there for a few more shows. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna front like when I when I started getting more into like booking like like hardcore like the Bridge Nine like Revelation Records side of it. I kind of I want I don't want to say I forgot about like all that shit, but like I wasn't as open to like you know what I mean like. And now that I look back and I feel kind of stupid for like missing out on a couple of years of like more like fun, like punk stuff, like the shit that we did in like 98 and 99. Like by the time I was booking big shows in like 2000, 2001, 2002, I don't know if I didn't have the appreciation as much for like the DIY shit or if I just didn't have the time for it or whatever. But like, I feel like I missed out on some cool shit now. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like towards like 2001, there really wasn't that much uh, going on. Well, actually, he moved. I mean, Ryan definitely moved here, so he he did more of his thing here, you know. But, I mean, like I said, even then, I was kind of more focused on what I was doing. And, you know, it is what it is. Like, like I said, though, those those first couple of years when we were going to those shows in Oleon, there was definitely some classics there. Um, but aside from uh, you knocking out the window at Ellison, any other uh, memories from your time in the Crimson Guard? I mean, I, I do remember the, the Ellison window incident, and I, I still feel bad for that kid that I – basically threw into it i mean i don't really remember it happening like you know i don't know if you've ever had one of those like weird experiences where like you're doing something and someone's like you you know you just like did this right but like someone was like i i don't even know who who said something but they were like dude you broke a window and i was like what and then we played like two more songs. Was John pissed at you after the show or whatever? I mean, probably. John <laughs> was like, John was like the biggest, nicest bear of all of them. Like, he, you know, he was like, oh, you got to pay me like $50 for that window. And, and I eventually got him the money. No, but yeah, like... he, uh, you know, he was like huge and like he was just like a big soft cuddly teddy bear <laughs> i think that he shouldn't have been called ryan 25 he should have been called like ryan teddy bear well one other funny thing that i i totally forgot about until now and thinking about him is that i think it was just the three of us too but when i put out that miles between us seven inch do you remember that we rolled out to buffalo for the day and you came with us and did backing vocals on an, yes. fucking, on an Ottawa Straight Edge record. Oh my god, dude! Fucking classic, dude. I don't even know, like, if we were just like hanging out that day, and I was like, "Oh yeah, dude, I got to go to Watchmen for the seven inch recording." And you're like, "Oh yeah, I'll come," or if it was something we planned out before, but it, uh, it was something we. I remember you had said that like you needed people to come along and scream backing vocals, and I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I didn't know who the band was, and I didn't know anyone except, like, you know, probably you. And I, I remember kind of just, like, hanging out in Watchmen and just looking at all the records on the wall. Yeah, that's, that's something ste definitely... Stepping outside and feeling like I couldn't smoke at the time. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure at least... Well, maybe not, though, because I think he's sober now, but at least one of those dudes was, like, smoking cigarettes and whatnot at some point i, I probably I'll, I'll probably edit that out actually but um um but straight edge ish 
Yeah, straight as this. Doug White from Watchmen is, de- is somebody I definitely want to get on the podcast at some point, though, because he recorded so much shit back then and still to this day. I mean, now you have like like 10 different people that have studios in their apartment or whatever, you know, but back then it was like maybe a few punk people had the four tracks or whatever, but otherwise, like you were probably going to Doug White, you know? Yeah, well, there was Watchmen and then I, I want to say there was a place like right around like Village Square or something. Yeah, near Village Gate or maybe even Pyramid Arts Center, because other people have recorded there, too, we've talked about on here. Is that where you guys recorded one? Because you recorded a demo with Crimson Guard, right? Uh, we recorded that, and I want to say it was either uh, Ryan or... Uh, uh, no, at it was either Adam's or Eric's basement. And I, or it might have even been... Uh, uh, Brian. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know whose basement it was, but we definitely recorded it down there and we did like a couple of takes at each song. You can if if anyone even has a copy of that and I probably still do if it's still like a viable cuz you know everything was on CDR at that point. And I don't know if those were really have held up. Like I haven't tried to play a CD and probably 10 years so that's not on the the rochester hardcore history soundcloud is it i could see adam having sent that to him uh i do not know yeah, uh i'll look into that i after. remember the last time i looked at it it wasn't on there yeah um i haven't looked i haven't looked at it in a while i mean i looked at it recently because we interviewed like somebody who was in the hardcore band here in the 80s so i wanted to see like what what was on there and then i realized it wasn't even on his soundcloud so they have a separate soundcloud and i was like man i just looked through this whole fucking thing and it's not even on here you know so um, i mean that soundcloud is is massive yeah yeah i mean that right. dude greg he's the same guy that runs the, the instagram obviously rochester hardcore history and he's he's a fucking gem for our scene you know uh the way he's archiving everything i i, I hope that one day every city has somebody doing something like that i mean he's a librarian so kind of makes sense that he'd be into doing that you know but um hopefully every city has a librarian that's a hardcore kid that, that wants to do that because like buffalo buffalo kind of has it with like their instagram where they do post like old flyers and shit but like, and then they have a, a, a similar podcast to mine but they don't have like that i know of anyways there's not like something like this like the soundcloud just has like tons of fucking music on it you know and then i'm guessing i don't i feel like the the crimson guard just faded out right i'm not sure if it's because eric went or yeah because eric went away to buffalo or uh I, mean, I know you moved away eventually too. I mean, we'll get into the as much as you want to talk about the living with James uh, uh, months or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we kind of just we really did just kind of fade out once again. Like there was kind of like the 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 divide between us all being kind of far away from each other. And I know it's it's weird to be like, yeah, we were all far away from each other. Like, we, you know, they were, you know, a 20 minute drive. But back then it was really true because the Rochester transportation system was kind of kind of shit. Like, and it's probably still shit because let's be honest. The transit system is a little bit better here than it was back then. But yeah, I, I know. I, what, and what you were saying before, those guys lived in the town of Penfield. And yeah. so you were probably were living downtown at the time. So that would have been two buses probably to get out there if you had to catch a bus, which would have been like 45 minutes to an hour, you know? Yeah, it was way. still either on a, 
Alexander or I might have uh, uh, moved over to right off uh, Monroe. I think I was the whatever the street that was like uh, right next to where that pizzeria or whatever was. Uh, across the street from Burgers. Oh, Goodman. Yeah, yeah. I was somewhere right right around Goodman for a while. But yeah, not. Nah, I know the there was a few months at the end there where you how, how long did you live with James for like six months, maybe? Maybe. I mean, it wasn't uh the most ideal living conditions. I mean, we didn't have a, a shower, so uh that was not fun. Uh there was a, a another uh, space on the next floor up that had a shower installed, and uh, it was basically abandoned. So we'd just kind of go in there and take showers in there. That was interesting. You know, there was no lock on the door, and but yeah, it was uh, right next to uh, Paul's uh, space. So that was the one good part. You always get a good whiff of something coming through the wall. <laughs> I had a I had a failed interview with him in the very beginning of the podcast, like some technical shit. And uh, I want to get him on here again. But that's one thing he did mention about his early days of doing the because he's in a different space now. But when he was, he mentioned that like you guys living near there and and kind of like, you know, seeing you guys coming and going and stuff. And, you know, um. Mark Rapone was around. Was Mark Rapone hanging around then with you guys too at that point? Or, uh, yeah, Mark was around. Uh, he Did didn't have know? the he didn't have the beard back then. Yeah, he looked a lot different back then. He was more of like the greaser back then, and now he's doing like the rocker, fucking stoner, high on fire looking guy or whatever. You know, I feel like that all started when he was playing in bands with Kevin and them, though. You know, oh for sure. You know, Mark the Shark. Um, but did you ever work at that sub shop at Village Gate? Because I feel like we all did at one point or another, the, the Crocodile Rock place. I, I worked there with uh, with James, and there were a couple others, a uh, uh, couple other, like, goth people that, like, worked there with us. I don't remember their names because my memory is failing me. But, uh, yeah, that was a great place to work. Yeah. Yeah, Mark ended up getting me a job there because... I oh, Mark worked there. Yeah, Mark was like the morning... He would like cut meats in the morning and then he would like deliver shit like all afternoon. And like, right, I, I, I might have even taken your place for all I know. No, because it would have been a few months later. But when I quit, I quit Brugger's and then like I didn't work for like three or four months. And then like, I want to say February or March of 2002, Mark was like, yeah, he really needs a guy. And I worked there for like... I don't know, four or five months, you know, I mean, it was a good job, but they only needed me for four hours a day. And it was like minimum wage, which, which I can say it now because the place is long closed, but they paid under the table, which at the time, you know, booking hard. Oh, shows yeah. and whatnot. I was like, fuck. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, but yeah, that's, that was just like a wild, a wild time. And that's kind of what made you move back. Or were you already kind of thinking about moving back to, to where you, to where you're back at now? Well, at the time uh, I was having, you know, basically financial difficulties and, uh, like I just could not find any work and, you know, I didn't want to get a job at like 
fucking McDonald's or anything. I remember I applied at Wendy's just because I was like, well, if I apply there, I can just eat food all day. But uh, yeah, I was just like, you know what? I'm out of here. Yeah. That that was pretty much the the end right there. There wasn't like some long thought out like uh, I'm gonna you know come back or do anything. I was just like, yep, I'm done. All right, I I loved everyone up there, and but like it was just time to go. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you're you're definitely one of the more beloved people from that era too, and I think like a lot of people come and go here, but like usually you don't see people that, that aren't from here come back. You know what I mean? Like Andrew Stankovich left. I doubt he'll be back. You know what I mean? Like anybody like who came here that wasn't from here, usually they're, they don't, you know what I mean? Like I, I left in uh, 2006 for like four or five months. And then I was like, not, not running super low on money, but low enough. And I went to Vegas one weekend too, where I was like, all right, I gotta, I'm going to go back home. I got family there. If things fall apart, I at least will have my sister. You know what I mean? Like, I think most people come back here because they have like the ties or whatever. Like, if you're not from here, like, you know. But um, now, since you've been back there, have there been a? I mean, we could talk about the Dodgers Phillies rivalry all day, obviously. But aside from like sports and shit, has there been any any good shows or anything you've been to? Uh, in the in a deck, uh, I guess it's been almost two decades since you've been back there. Come to think of it, uh, I came back. Uh, I want to say sometime in the early. 2010s for the uh i came back for two punks picnics and i came back for the priests reunion and uh that that's pretty much it i mean the picnics were were great and you know just kind of like you know hey i'll pop in and just you know see everyone i know and see what's going on and see how shit's falling apart and you know and then get out of dodge and the priests were just like, I was like, well, I, I fucking love the priests. Uh, to me, they were probably one of the greatest bands that came out of that era in Rochester's history. I mean, I don't think they quite get enough uh, credit for uh, the, the music that they put out. But man, those uh, the first three records that they put out are all just fucking phenomenal. I mean, uh, the, the last one they put out, uh, it was The Priest and there was Streetwalker. And I forget what the third one's called. But uh, that third record is just like fucking killer. Like, obviously, that was their uh, first big record that they did. Well, I guess last record. I don't know what, you know, happened with those guys. I know, uh, you know. Well, you'll have to get Rob Filardo on the, the show for a deep dive into the uh, uh, garage punk scene in Rochester. But uh, he's definitely one of the linchpins of the area, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's probably been in more bands than um, than we've seen. Yeah, you know, it's crazy you mentioned, like, obviously, I mentioned in the beginning, I want to get him on here at some point, and I've reached out to him. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if maybe he doesn't get the messages or doesn't, you know, understand what I'm offering. But anyways, um, it would take several episodes, I feel like, to interview him for, like, everything I want to talk to him about, because, like, this whole time, I've been thinking about how, like, he's one of the people that introduced me to, like, the whole scene, and I'd want to, like, talk to him about, like, old punk and hardcore from the 80s, his old bands from back then. 
and that's already one episode, you know? And then you got like trash can records, uh, garage pop, all the shit that he did with that stuff. And then uh, like the, like you're saying, the priest could be an entire episode of a podcast, dude. Like I never realized they went to Europe and all that shit. Like they were like a, like a real band, you know, it's crazy. Like they played their last show in Europe. I feel like I read that somewhere recently in, in an interview he did or like uh, something he posted somewhere. I didn't know they went to Europe, but I knew they had toured quite uh, extensively. And I'm sure that's kind of where the end came about. You know, that tends to be, you know, when you're basically living with people for, you know, months on end, you tend to get on everyone's, on each other's nerves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Usually you hear about bands breaking up when they go to, when they tour Europe, it's like the last thing they do. Um, now, I, I don't want to gloss over what you said there, though. I, I remember one of the punks picnics I was there for that you came back for in 2011. But do you remember which other one you came back for? Or? There was a uh, one maybe around 2004, maybe. Hmm. I, I could be misremembering the years yeah. as well. I remember one year there was a lot of drama going on and it wasn't that that was the year you were there. Uh, for sure. Not and, because of uh, me, obviously, but no, no. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, what, what the thing is, 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 is for me, what was crazy is like, we had seen like people like from the punk scene, like, like the drunk punk scene and shit, but like, this was another level in 2011. Like they were like on like real drugs and shit back then. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe they were in the nineties too. I just didn't realize, but it seemed like they were all fucking. Oh, they definitely people, were, you know, but I mean, I was probably I was probably more naive in the '90s because I was straight edge and I just like kind of ignored all that shit. You know what I mean? But it seems like they got something. They got they got more going on with that now. I mean, there's I don't know if, how much you've kept up with like Rochester bands and stuff, but there's definitely uh, a newer one called Leaking Head that that's fucking really rips. Uh, I'll send you a links to their shit if you're not familiar with them or whatever after the interview. Yeah, I haven't heard them at all. Yeah, that's I, like I, I've seen a lot of Buffalo stuff. Like, yeah, like Buffalo definitely seems like they're uh, churning out a lot of bands right now. Buffalo's doing it on all cylinders too. Like they got all like the hardcore and shit that I gravitated more towards. They got like that violent way, like oi band. I'm guessing they got like punk shit going on too. Like they're they're really like, I feel like Rochester's kind of sleeping a little bit. Like we got a couple, like I said, Leaking Head's good, and there's like a new band called Only Shallow that that's more on like the the hardcore side, you know. But um Buffalo's just on fire right now, man. Like, and I feel like we got to catch up to them, you know? <laughs> I mean, Rochester's got some good things going too. I mean, you know, they have Moment of Truth back. So uh, if you can still call that a Rochester band. Yeah. I mean, well, technically, I mean, half the dudes don't live here anymore, but they're they're still a Rochester hardcore band, I guess. You know, I mean, they're playing with, like I said at the beginning of the episode, they're playing with Madball in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that, that would definitely, if I was around... That would definitely be a show I would uh, check out because uh, I've I've listened to their new record a couple of times and it's pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah. I try to get to every every show uh, that, that comes here. I, I don't really make it like uh, a point to say I'm going until I'm actually on my way there because having uh, a son who's turning four soon and a daughter who's turning nine months soon, it's it's always a, a dice roll to see how it's going to be when I'm getting ready to walk out the door, you know. So. But it's uh, there's one coming up in Buffalo though that I'm 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 100% gonna go to uh, Circle Jerks, Negative Approach, Seven Seconds, and um, maybe the Adolescents too. I want to say 
Is that tour coming near you at all? Or I have no idea. I mean, probably they're probably playing Philly or New York or something. How far away from Philly are you? Is it, is it too far to like try to go to a show or whatever? No, nah, Philly's about 45 minutes away from me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's like the one big one. Like I, I keep like a, a little list on my phone of like shows that I'd like to go to. And like, I usually make it to like, I'd say like 60 to 75% of the local shows. And I haven't been to like any out of town shows since like, you know, COVID reopened. I mean, I definitely want to get to a few Buffalo shows uh coming up soon like i said i'm definitely gonna go to the one i just mentioned but other than that it's it's tough to really say i'm gonna go to something and then like leave my girlfriend home alone with two screaming kids you know once they're a little older i'll be able to kind of do more with the shows you know so um yeah i haven't been to a show in probably uh probably about two years now so uh you you got one up on me there well, that's, uh, I mean, that's about the time everything shut down, though. You know what I mean? Like, I've only been to, I think I went to maybe four shows last year. And one of them, it was that band Only Shallow that I just mentioned. It was their first show when I left right after they played. And it was outside, too. Just the whole, like, being around a ton of people still is something I'm not really, like, trying to do. I know a lot of people are saying, like, oh, it's not punk to this or that or fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's punk to believe what you believe. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel. Like, if... If people want to want to have shows and they want to go play them and be around people, then go do it. You know, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. You know, like yeah, everyone's like got to make their own choice there. Exactly. You know, it's just it's like all, all about. This, uh, it's just too much shit talk, though. You know what I mean? Like it's like if you, if people don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. Like, and that's the whole problem with with where I'm at though, because now I want to start doing shows again. And if I do them at the bug jar, people are going to talk shit because they they require the vaccination. If I don't do them there, then some people are going to be maybe just not come at all so i'm gonna lose people either way you know it's like i wish we could have this like i don't know i don't know how to i don't know how to please everyone at this point you know what i mean it seems unlikely i mean i just feel like you know what you do whatever you feel the most comfortable with and if they don't fucking like it fuck you that's pretty much where i'm at now especially because like i know like the people that aren't gonna support either decision I make are going to be the ones that are going to talk shit, you know? So I'm, I mean, I would definitely say that like, you know, anything, you know, you can do to support like the places like the bug jar that have been around forever and have definitely like, yes, they might require a vaccination, but uh, you also have to think about the fact that these guys have, uh, you know, it's been hard on them too. You know, they've basically gone through two years of, you know, not being able to, you know, do shows and only being able to do takeout and, you know, all the other restrictions that, you know, have gone into effect. I mean, you know, the the, the thought that the bug jar might disappear, you know, because of all this is actually kind of heartbreaking just because that's like probably the most iconic venue in Rochester. So I would I would say anything you can do to support the bug jar, including getting vaccinated would be, you know, a good move. Everything you just said kind of like nails down further that I'm going to do my shows there. You know what I mean? Like I, I've been on the fence about it and I'm just, I know the, the people that are going to talk shit is a really small uh, group of people and they can just go book their own shows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not, I don't, I'm not going to be in the middle of some bullshit at this point. Like once things feel better to me to do this or that, then I'll do that. But for right now, you know, and the thing that really pisses me off though is everybody keeps being like, Oh, you know, you're shook because the media or this and that. Like, I don't know about you, but like, 
I actually have cable too because I, I got the bullshit deal that includes cable with the spectrum or whatever. I don't fucking watch CNN, dude. Like the only time I watch anything on TV really is like the one time uh, a month I can watch basketball for five minutes. Otherwise, we have fucking Nick Jr. on all the time or whatever, you know? Like I'm not paying attention it's, to the media. Like, it's definitely a little different when you have kids. I, I don't really watch cable like all that much. Like I have a couple of like streaming services, but you know, like, I'm not uh I'm not sitting here watching uh you know CNN or Fox. I mean, obviously I pay attention, but the main thing for me is really just that uh, it sucks because we lost MSG here, so I can't watch any of the New York teams. So, fuck cable. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, I mean, fuck. What's that? Uh, honestly, fuck James Dolan too. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. He's. I mean. Anybody who follows basketball knows what a fucking moron he is. Um, what are you a fan? I guess, you know, we're, you know, well, no, not real quick. When did, when did the whole Bills thing happen? Is that when you were living here that you became so diehard Bills? That was uh, before I moved to Rochester, actually. Really? So, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously in the, uh, the, early 90s uh late 80s uh the eagles were you know a, a a decent team and everyone was either uh eagles fans or cowboys fans and i was like i'm gonna do my own thing and i was like i'm gonna be a fan of the buffalo bills and i've stuck with it yeah because i always see you posting all this shit and i'm like look at this guy he held he held true to the roots from how long he lived here but i never realized that you were a fan before because I don't think we would have really talked about sports too much when you were living here because even I didn't like, I, I mean, everybody who knows me knows that I love basketball, but even back then, like, especially the years that we've mainly talked about tonight, I wasn't really fucking with sports that much. It was, there wasn't time. You know what I mean? Like we were going to shows or booking shows or just doing something related to like punk and hardcore every night of the week. It seemed like, you know what I mean? And, and it's not like we had TV. That's true. You know, I didn't have TV when I lived there. So it's not like I could, uh, you know, I get the uh, news the same way anyone else would back then by via the newspaper. It, in case you don't know, I'm a fan of the Knicks, uh, much more less so on the side of the Rangers. And then uh, I did stick with the one local team with the Phillies. So uh, you could say I've made some bad choices. I always knew you're a Phillies fan because, you know, I, I remember, I remember, I remember anybody's a Phillies fan from the, I, I forget, I think it was 2008 when the Phillies uh, beat the Dodgers and the, the NLCS. And I was, I was away. When Joe Blanton beat the Dodgers, you mean? I was just texting everybody like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I mean, dude, that's so annoying. Like the Dodgers, like, it's like, dude, so many good players. Like, how do you only get one World Series out of that? And it's a shortened season too. It's insane, man. You know? I mean, but that's that could be a whole nother podcast, obviously. I don't know how many people listen to this really care about uh, <laughs> sports, you know, but I um, know oh, we should talk for like at least another hour about the Dodgers. <laughs> you know, I could talk about the Dodgers. I mean, I was definitely, you know, I've been, I've, I have the same Dodgers hat that I wore back then. Probably probably all the Dodgers hats that I wore back then in the closet. That's like 15 feet away from here right now. Like I, I've I haven't I haven't kept everything from. Uh, teenage years on but like all, pretty much all my Dodgers hats I still have I don't have too many more uh, I, don't, I don't have any topics left actually is there anything that we didn't really 
touch on from your time here that you would want? I mean, we didn't talk at all about Laszlo. Oh, my I mean, God. Anybody who didn't work with Spindle and I at Don and Bob's, which is literally... Oh, first of all, do you still go by Spindle or is that only in Rochester or only like in punk, punk world? That I guess that's only in punk world. I mean, my Instagram is Spindelphia, so, yeah. you know, right. uh, so, it's fine. So we, uh, just like the sports, Spindle and I probably could have made an entire podcast worth of talking about working at Don and Bob's, which for the people out of town listening to this, that was like a classic burger establishment opened in the 50s in Rochester. But when Spindle and I worked there, it was a, a roach-infested uh, burger establishment. But there were, as with any restaurant that I've worked at, and I've worked in a ton, there were several characters there. Uh, probably at the top of the list was Mr. Laszlo Vazi, who was a deaf, I think, Russian guy who was like 20 or 30 years older than us. I'm not going to repeat. definitely was... Russian or Ukrainian. Yeah. I, I... I'm not going to repeat what he would say to us, but I will say that I've worked with several other deaf people over the years mostly at ruby tuesday and they all have the exact same sense of humor for some reason they all think the same words are funny to call people maybe it's because the way they say them and they know we're gonna like turn around really quickly give them a weird look but they always laugh hysterically when they say it so um but no he was a fucking character man um i saw him years later like not not like like recently years later but like 10 years ago i don't remember where but I saw him somewhere and I was like, holy shit, that's fucking Laszlo. You know, my, yo, my memory from Don and Bob's, which I've made this comment to several people over the years, probably anytime I ever had my last day at a job. And you can tell me afterwards, if you want me to cut this out of the interview, do you remember what you did your last day at Don and Bob's? No, you had to do the dishes. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't, I, I don't, I might've done this one job one time afterwards in your honor, but I don't think so. But you were like, yo, fuck these motherfuckers. And all the dishes just went right back up. <laughs> no matter what kind of condition they were in, they just went from the, the, the spray side, put them right back on the shelf and the, the team who works here afterwards can worry about it. And I was just like, that's fitting, man. And I was at like a, like a house party and I still wasn't drinking or anything, but I was at a house party one night and I, we were watching the news. And there it was, Don and Bob's has closed. So, so sad. I mean, at, at that time, at the time we worked there, it was kind of, so the owner, the person who owned Don and Bob's was actually from uh, Stockton. Like, really? And yeah. So he, he his family uh, grew up here. And by some magic coincidence, I moved up there and ended up working for the shittiest person to come out of Stockton. Is that the Fox family? Yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, whoever the, I don't remember their names, but like there was the the dude who was like the, the manager owner or whatnot. And then like his daughter who would like, you know, come in and run the store and sit in the office. Oh, and, you're talking about the Compters. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That girl, we would open on Saturdays and Sundays and like we would have on whatever music we'd be playing like loud as fuck and she would never once come out of the office all morning it would be like we would get there at seven and the place opened at 10 30 we would never see her come out of the office like it was the craziest thing and uh you know i've worked i've worked many different restaurant jobs since then in in many different capacities and uh i don't think that that's uh you know but that place was a fucking dump though um you, you know, know i think I think 
they were he whoever owned it like owned it owned it like i don't think they were they were just like the people who ran it so whoever owned it owned it also owned like a couple of wendy or something yeah and like all of our product like basically was like wendy's product yeah so it was like it was quite weird well, well, I guess like what's like what's your like closing thoughts, I guess, about like your time in Rochester, or, like any people you want to give like shout outs to or anything like that? Well, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people from Rochester that I still know and care about. You know, uh, there's been I'm, I know there's been ups and downs up there over the years since I've left. And uh, but like, you know, obviously, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, the the very old screw old school crew of you know like james kevin uh pat dent where wherever he is now uh, you know obviously i don't think he's on social media or anything and uh, you know adam eric chris uh you uh and that's it no one else <laughs> no one else but no, no i i i I loved my time there and I loved everyone that was up there except for uh what's his face? Uh skinhead dude who had the uh uh beef beer guns? Yeah, yeah, fuck that dude. <laughs> I had some beef with him then, no pun intended. I saw him a couple years later and he was he was okay with me. I, I probably wouldn't like You should have him, him on there. You should no. have him on. No. Yeah. No, I yeah, I, come say, on. I probably wouldn't I probably wouldn't buy him a beer. So I'm not, if I'm not going to buy him a beer, I'm definitely not having him on my fucking podcast. And again, I don't have any beef with the guy. I don't even remember what his name was. I want to say John, maybe actually. That sounds about it. It might have been John. But uh, no, nah, I don't really like, I'm just joking. No, I know. But uh, like, it's really weird to think about, like, you know, like Brian Kona is like out in like uh, California, I think now. And, uh, you know, he really did a complete 180 there. He went from having the uh, the world's largest mohawk to you know white guy dreads. Yeah, I I partied with that dude a few times, uh, like two or three times, like two thousand six. I'll tell you that story off air. Actually, I'm not I'm not putting that one on the podcast. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that's not for the podcast. No, no, I don't want my kids hearing that one in ten years. Uh, now he was real cool though. I, I also I wasn't at the uh, uh, if uh, anyone went to the uh, the new misfit shows uh, back in the day uh, where uh, certain members of the local punk scene were punched in the face. Uh, that was also a a great highlight of the era. So, you know, there's not that many people who can say that uh, uh, Doyle punched them in the face, so you know, take it as a badge of honor. Wait, were you there for that or not? Yeah. Why'd you get punched in the face, Brian? That's that. No, I didn't get punched in the face. Oh. Someone else did. Oh, okay. from in here though. From Rochester, yeah. Let me hear that one real quick before we wrap this interview up. Uh, I, I'm not at liberty to say who it was. <laughs> well, I guess that's the whole story then. <laughs> Oh shit! Well, maybe we'll trade stories after the interview. Anybody else that you want to shout out or closing thoughts on Rochester? I guess. Nah, nah, we're good. 
Well, I appreciate you uh, doing the interview. I know it's been a long time coming. Uh, like I said, people have been asking for it. So um, I'm, okay. I'm thinking like I, I joked that set map would return in 2021, but obviously COVID delayed that. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm going to officially announce that set map will return to Rochester in 2031. Holy shit, guys. Start the countdown now. Nine more years and we got SatMap back. And my kids will be old enough to enjoy that one. Yeah, no original members, though. All new members, all new songs. All right, so I think that's going to wrap up the episode. Uh, I want to definitely thank Spindle for taking the time doing this interview. Uh, As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci, Greg Benoit, and Jim Byrne for helping with the podcast. Thanks to my family for their never-ending support and for trying to remain quiet downstairs while I do this. Uh, I got a ton of episodes coming up, but the next three are going to feature a few of the guys from Hourglass talking about their reunion, uh, Tom Bullman and uh, Rich Thurston. So just uh, keep your eyes on EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com. You'll get more information there. Thanks. See everybody real soon. Stay safe.